1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey,
2: welcome to the 306th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Don Revis
1: and Madison Witten. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have our old bud. When I say old, you just mean age He means
3: ancient. <laughs> it's me.
1: <Yeah>. Carlin Hudson. <laughs> Carlin, some very, like, tasteful plastic surgery over the years. <laughs> Honestly, you feel ageless. It's well Bodox done. Botox
3: has come a long way.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I feel like maybe we talk about this too much, but we got some feedback that people like it when we talk to our friends on the podcast. None of them were available, but we got Carlin <laughs> to... Hinch, hint. Uh, for, here we for go, for the roast of Carl Hudson. once <laughs> you
3: actually were like, gave me a couple days in advance, and look, guess who's <laughs> available? Because a bitch likes to plan. And I said, yes, I will be available in a few nights. Thank you for the heads up.
1: Yeah. I mean, by the way, Carlin rejects our request like two out of three times. All all the time. I'm
3: very time. busy planning. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not on my schedule.
1: I will say about Patreon real quick. Um, one of our patrons of the week is Madison Witten. She's a new patron, mm-hmm. the $20 level. Thank you, Madison. Um, and I'm assuming she's at that level because she wants to get one of our awesome Just Shoot It hats that Carlin <laughs> Has been seen in the wild wearing on set.
3: I posted Um, it today. mm -hmm. I posted a photo today of it.
1: That's right. That's right.
2: Jack in the box campaign. Well done. Thank you. That's good. Oh, that was the Jack in the box
1: campaign. That was the Jack
3: in the box campaign. And I wore the Just Shoot It hat. How did it go? It was awesome. A genuinely a very fun shoot, actually, which is. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you got to work with King Batch. That's cool. King Batch. Cool. Very yeah.
3: funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was like a, it was a really silly, fun little, little shoot.
1: Very cool. Well, so what I was saying is that you wore the Just Shoot It hat there. And Hell Madis- yeah. And Madison Witten, who's our brand new patron at the hat level, I was like, that name sounds familiar. And I realized that Madison had actually been a patron before at the $10 level and got a hat but probably wanted a second hat. So I'm assuming that Madison removed herself from the Patreon and then rejoined to get another hat, which I realized is the only way you can buy two hats. Madison, if you're listening, let us know what's going on. Just and
3: shoot us an email.
2: Other listeners, if you've been patronizing us for the $10 level for a while and you want
1: another hat, like let us know. We, we could figure something out, I think. Have you guys noticed that things are changing that there's just way more work now than literally 2 weeks ago like that work flow <laughs> seems to be i know this is obvious but also interesting just directly related to like covid fears yeah i would say that that is definitely
2: true do you think that s- some of it is coinciding with uh just like business cycles a little bit as well but do you feel like i feel like of- oftentimes you know things start getting ramped up, you know,
3: around stuff early around spring, now, basically, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
1: but it but work is back for sure, like, like two weeks ago, I think I was submitted for maybe zero jobs, and last week, I think I was submitted for like fifteen jobs. I mean, it's like night and day difference,
3: yeah, I do think there's like a little bit of covid fear starting to lift mm-hmm. again. We'll see,
1: yeah, we'll see what happens. It, I have a feeling. That look, for sure, there could be like some new mutation that kills like every other person. It's got to uh, be very serious for people. To, yeah. To I mean, because even like yeah. the most COVID-y, covid COVID-COVID people are now like,
3: totally. fuck it. <laughs> We're weary. Yeah. People yeah. are tired.
1: Yeah. 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 And we just want to get out of our houses and shoot some things that we have a plan to shoot because Ooh. we have storyboards.
2: Mm -hmm. Wow, excellent
3: segue. Look at that
2: segue. Well done. Mm -hmm. Well done, Oren. So yes, as Oren's hinting, the main topic today is talking about storyboards. I think it's great timing for all of us because like Oren said, work is back. We're in the swing of things.
1: So storyboards, we all know, are a tool that we can use in filmmaking. Some people live and die by them. Some people absolutely can't stand them. And I think a lot of people, probably the three of us included, think it depends on the project whether you need storyboards or not. I yeah. think kind of the common knowledge that maybe you'd read in a book about storyboarding is, oh, if there's an action sequence in this movie, we'll storyboard that action sequence and everything else will just, you know, figure out how to shoot, you know, off a shot list. But I think, you know, especially with the explosion of short form stuff, whether it's commercials or promos or episodic things, music videos, um, branded content, it's not unfeasible to storyboard an entire, you know, Five minute short nowadays, where I think in TV, I don't know that you would storyboard like a half hour episode, or an hour episode, or an entire movie because it's just labor intensive. But I'm curious with you guys, how do you decide whether you are going to storyboard on a project? Um, and you know, obviously, use like kind of your most recent projects maybe as examples. The one
2: I'm prepping now and the previous job I just did are a very good examples of when I really like to storyboard when I versus when I don't. So the previous one. Heavy, heavy improv. It was soft scripted. Oftentimes talent was operating the camera because they were meant to play like vlogger influencer types. And so when things are that loose, I find that unless I need very specific imagery, storyboarding is just kind of it's like wishful thinking, whereas the next one that I'm doing is very specific in terms of transitions and, uh, you know, you basically the storyboard effectively becomes the script. You know, mm-hmm. like in, the script says, like, you know, we the camera flies around the product or whatever. But, like, no one really knows what I'm talking about until they see the blueprint, which is effectively the the storyboards. And and uh, in this case, an animatic. What about you, Carlin? Where, where do you like to draw your line?
3: Unintended. I would. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, drawing wise, I am shit. I once had storyboards that I drew myself. Which I don't do anymore, but I they were passed around as a humor piece <laughs> to a, a crew, joke. yeah. Because and I was like, yeah, pass them around. I'm like, I'm like one of the least gifted visual artists. I'm I'm truly terrible at drawing.
2: I want to I want to p- pump the brakes there. Pause real yeah. quick, listeners at home. Even if people razz you, the importance of a storyboard <laughs> is is communicating. Yes, your, your the ideas, the shot composition all of that stuff that can be stick figures. It does not have to be incredibly rendered. It's helpful because like people use, don't have to use their imagination quite so much. They're not filling in the gaps, but like don't be ashamed of rudimentary drawing, even if your crew rasses you.
3: In fact, if I can find them, I will send them to you guys and you can share them because they are funny. But even (laughs) like the nose kind of triangle pointing a certain Mm -hmm. way, You know, this was like earlier on in my career or whatever. And so it is a helpful exercise to draw them yourself. Mm -hmm. I think maybe this is helpful to listeners, maybe not. But like now when we're talking about storyboards, I'm not personally drawing them. Like I hire someone to draw them.
2: That is is worth clarifying and is maybe the real deciding factor. It's like, oh, does it make sense budget-wise for us to board for a few days or not?
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it depends on the job and also like, I actually did just pay for storyboards myself on a project. It's a feature that I'm pitching on to to direct. And I did like a really extensive lookbook. But I just kind of wanted to go above and beyond. And like this is a comedy with a lot of big set pieces and like action kind of sequences. And so I did storyboard like I paid out of pocket to have to work with a guy we both work with sometimes to storyboard a scene. And it was really fun and useful for me to imagine how I would cover that scene,
1: mm-hmm.
3: even even while I'm not even attached to this film. So right. well, I'm just like trying to get it.
1: It's interesting for our listeners, especially newer filmmakers that maybe are just starting to figure out what their career looks like. I'm sure a lot of people are curious if they've never hired a storyboard artist. How much does a, re- a good kind of Hollywood level storyboard artist cost? Do you guys? I mean, I have a number in my mind. I, I was going
3: to say six hundred a day. I,
1: I think six is like maybe on the slightly Low? cheaper side. Like yeah. Doing your indie film, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. like the friends and family rate. I, I think would, commercials. I yeah, like seven fifty, eight hundred, probably. Yeah, yeah, a day. Yeah. And the related question is, and I don't think there's a firm answer for this, but how many storyboards do you get? that much money like how many boards do you think your average good fairly fast storyboard artist can draw and obviously you know it can range all over the board if they're doing them in color if they're shading if they're Mm -hmm. just doing kind of outlines well those are those are big important delineations though
2: and oftentimes Mm -hmm. are baked into the pricing right black and white is always going to be cheaper than full color Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes you can be like hey i just want roughs you know, I want your thumbnail mm-hmm. sketches rather than something fully rendered, and that can yeah. maybe shave a day off as well.
1: Right. Well, so I if I want like
3: fifty to eighty
1: frames that's a day, high. I would say that's high. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd say fifteen to twenty
2: five. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, oh <my> I, <laughs> I, I, I'm Mama Bear. I'm right. I think like I think I got like on my last session. Well, no, because it was two days. It was two days. It was probably yeah. in like the 39 to 50 range. Is what
1: when I, when I asked for you know, like 20 that. frames from my guy, Andrew Paul, shout out to you if you're, um, he's like, okay, 20, they're going to be rough and I'm going to be working fast. I mean, he's probably done 30 for me, but mm. uh, but when he does 30, it's like a wide shot and a close up, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that counts as two frames, but it's literally the same drawing. He just like zooms in on it.
3: Oh my God, I'm, I'm so out of touch. I'm just saying, I don't know, 100 well, a day.
1: <laughs> well, maybe your storyboard artists really like you. Yeah. Um, or maybe yeah, they're I, doing like they're working all night
2: long. Part of the fun of working with a professional board artist is their rough, their mm-hmm. thumbnail, their representational thing. A still gets the point across, but B is like oh. so awesome compared to what you would do trying yes. your hardest
1: at home. Right. It is so, 100% understandable and you can show it to an agency person. You can show it to your crew. You yeah, can show yeah. it to, yep. to whoever, like in Carlin's case. Um, I don't know if I've ever done it, but I've been thinking about it recently is hiring a, the storyboard artist for the pitch. Actually mm-hmm. on this commercial job, I just didn't get, I, it's a really, it's a 15 second commercial and it's like five shot, five perfect shots, you know? Mm. And I was like, maybe I should just do the boards. Ahead of time, which now I guess I'm happy I didn't because
4: you know it money. I mean it money. is a
1: gamble. I think that back in the day,
2: like I think you could ask your production company to do that, and maybe they would go for it. You know,
1: yeah. You Remember we had the these directors, the Pierce brothers, that made this movie, The Wretched, and one of them, Drew Pierce, is actually uh, his name is Drew, so uh, he's obligated to draw for a <laughs> living, and he. draws all his own storyboards I mean that's what he does professionally too aside from being a filmmaker and that was a they I was always so jealous of them because they would pitch their movies and they did these genre films I mean they still do and they would have all these sequences storyboarded out and so you go to a person you're like and then you know they're good writers and good visualists also so it's really good it's like kind of Hollywood level stuff that they get pretty much for free from just from doing the work themselves Hmm. and so that's how they've gotten pretty good at like pitching their ideas and raising money off of being able to draw great wow. great boards. I think that also
2: brings up the point that like most board artists are capital A artists in maybe a slightly different discipline and that this is their money job, which yeah. is kind of part of why their rates are what they are. Like this like no one's doing they I think most of them love storyboarding because it's still a pretty hard and highly skilled job, but like that's part of what their that's their survival job most typically like they oftentimes will come from fine art or from comics a lot of comics people and that's like a really competitive industry as well so it makes sense that people kind of double dip a little bit right um, mm-hmm. between the two.
1: Well I want to talk about how we work with storyboard artists because I think it's interesting to kind of hear how you all do it. Um, but for those of our listeners that aren't working with storyboard board artists or can't like afford to work with them. I want to, after this conversation, we'll transition into some ways you can storyboard things without a storyboard artist. I want to make sure it's helpful for everyone. But so on that note, Carlin, when you sit down with a storyboard artist, what materials do you already have ready to show them?
3: So normally I have kind of like what the location would look like. If I, if I haven't been there, then, um, you know, like for this thing we just did, it was like, oh, this is what the auditorium might look like. Like, this is the kind of location that I had in mind. Because I do think location is obviously like, that's such a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, So I have pictures of, of the location, like some idea of the cast, if if they're not cast yet. And then I make a shot list and then mm-hmm. we kind of go from there. But But we'll get into this more in a second. But I've worked with like four or five different storyboard artists and the guy that i worked with now a couple times who was recommended to me by matt Enlow, his name is mike just you call Shout him mikey. mikey yeah um i don't know him well enough to call him mikey i hope soon but uh currently i call him mike or michael but yeah. um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh he so he is one of like the more collaborative people i've ever worked with so you kind of like sit with him while he's drawing the storyboards Mm -hmm. which is something i've never done prior to working with him
1: yeah oh interesting yeah
3: yeah
2: back in the day you would meet him at a coffee shop and he would like literally bring uh sketch pads sketch pads and like an easel and uh and it is a very different experience than a more old school experience than you know commonly now people are drawing on tablets and You know, it's kind of designed to be a little bit uh, more streamlined in, in terms of it being digitized. Like he'll, yeah. he'll, le- he'll leave with like a stack of drawings and then have to go scan them. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like mm-hmm. the turnaround is a little bit different, things like that. Yeah, but I, I will I say
1: my current, the way I work with my current guy is um, we're on Zoom. He actually now, you know, uh, COVID times, he doesn't even live in L.A. anymore. He used to live in L.A but now we just go on zoom and I see he shares his screen has he uses some program. It's kind of like a Photoshop type of program, but it has the frames, you know, he has like six, mm-hmm. 16 by nine frames on the screen. And I describe the shot, I show him images and he starts drawing and, you know, really that first session is about us getting the angles and the shot size. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Carlin's saying the location and what cast is in each shot. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know, he'll go off on his own and make them look pretty. But, you know, I, I do wonder, like, I know there are some storyboard artists that just take a script and they go, they board it, you know, things have been boarded before a directors even attached, which is crazy.
4: Yeah. But
1: to me, it's hard to imagine a storyboard artist boarding something without me telling him like, no, just a little bit wider, a camera, mm-hmm. a little bit lower. Um,
2: well, and so yeah. we were talking a little bit before about the difference between something that's fully rendered and a thumbnail. Part of what I like to do ideally is kind of have a little bit of time in between thumbs and things that are fully rendered because that gives me the chance to play with the image a little bit more. Like if you have something that's rough, still malleable. You can say like that the board artist can show you specifically what they thought you told them to do, but it's not so far down the line that they've just spent, you know, 45 minutes putting the, Finishing touches on this image. You know what I mean? You can kind of see the the in-between. And sometimes that can happen in real time as you're looking over their shoulder. But sometimes between scheduling and and life and all that, they, you know, need
1: to just kind of send you stuff a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys ever find that it's hard to, like, come up with dynamic shots in the storyboarding process? Because by definition, it's a still image that's representing your motion and i'm always wanting to say to make one shot into four frames like okay it starts Mm -hmm. here and then it pans Mm -hmm. here but i want to see that she went from happy to sad so i think we should draw her happy and then sad you know and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden i've used up four frames for one (laughs) shot you know so well so that that's interesting to to bring up though because i've
2: started really leaning on animatics especially for commercials which is where you'll take the storyboards and then drop in a little bit of temp vo it's nice that i have this nice microphone thanks to podcasting and maybe even a little bit of music or some sound effects if you need to and i'll do all the voices and put that into premiere and then time things out so that i know exactly what the runtime is and if jokes are working or not it gives me a chance to kind of like really get a feel for the piece and come up with new ideas it's become a big part of my process but part of that is that now i will uh ask the board artist to either deliver me pla uh um, photoshop files or just draw separate elements like if they know for instance that i'm gonna have a shot of a phone and then i need the finger to swipe they'll give me a finger and then the phone and knowing that i will animate the swipe in the mm. animatic yeah they give me the finger all the time <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Uh, But but that's a different thing. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. and uh, in the case of like you're doing it real time with them, they can ask you like, oh, do you want this element to move? Do we want to do this in sequences or should I draw like a little basically like a virtual prop over in the corner for you to animate later? And they're very rudimentary. It's just it's like two or three keyframes always.
1: Yeah, I do that a lot. My favorite is like when someone gives me a storyboard and I know we're out of days with that artist, but I want to change something or the script changed. And so I bring it into Photoshop and I erase some part and like try to redraw it myself. And it just like looks so, so different from their storyboard. And I'm just like constantly waiting to see if like anyone says anything like, what? Like, why does this person's face look like a five year old? Compared (laughs) to all other faces.
4: Ready to pop the question.
0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: I was going to say the other thing on animatics Mm -hmm. that I've started doing that I'd love your thoughts on. Basically, after they've drawn all of their frames, I've started if I realize, oh, I want a new shot of not like a close up because you could just zoom in, but like it's something totally new. I'll find images on the Internet and kind of Frankenstein it together as a placeholder sometimes. Again, very rudimentary, but like as a way of illustrating how things flow together and especially when things are very, very visual, I found that that's been Super helpful, actually. Hmm. Um, and it's like a weird thing that I even two years ago would never think would be part of my process.
1: Like you're saying this is unrelated to storyboards. You find images on the Internet for your animatic. I'm I'm saying that if I have two days with a board artist,
2: they'll send me their roughs. I'll put them into an animatic. I'll realize, oh, shoot, I want a a shot of a person smiling. and I'll drop that in to the animatic, find that, find some stock imagery, put that into the animatic, show, like, adjust it to the right size and angle and all of that stuff, and then send that animatic over to the board artist saying, like, hey, I need a, a frame that looks like this, but with our actor instead of the person in this shot or something like that. And because oh. it's in that animatic, they can kind of see it all. They get the sense of how it all flows together, right? And like, an
3: animatic is just... The it's like a rough animation of all the frames together.
2: Yeah, in it's Premiere, effectively just sequencing all of those storyboards mm-hmm. with voice over underneath, and you can get <laughs> more and more involved. You know, the further down the rabbit hole you fall. Um, but and you find camera moves, you find like ways to plus things, you figure out if yeah. it's funny or not. It's it's really especially when you have like a specific runtime you're trying to hit. I find it to be invaluable.
3: I have a a question because on a, a couple, I'm almost a couple recent jobs. I was so prepared for a couple jobs that the agency producer was like, you shouldn't have done this much because then it gave like <laughs> the client was sort of sure. like then too involved because I, I, do you know what I mean? Does that ever happen to y'all?
2: Yes. Yes. Uh, on a job, relatively recently i like pre- i had the chance to prep it really early and like came yeah in with like some very specific renderings and like it's easy to be like oh shoot like we don't like that color or like is mm-hmm. the wardrobe really going to look like that and you're like no this is just a drawing yeah you know? um but it's easy for people to get hung up on things and so you do the the tricky thing with storyboards is that they do sometimes become prescriptive in a way yeah. that can be
1: hindering for sure.
3: Yeah, or does that happen to you?
1: No, I don't think anyone's ever told me I like did too much work.
3: Which um, of the three of us, I feel like you were like the craziest in prep.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I get frustrated when I feel like I showed them what the exact commercial is going to look like, and then we show up on set and I set up a shot, and they're like, eh, "We don't like that." And I'm like, "Well, you approved the animatic, you approved the storyboards, you approved the script, like." Why now? I showed you every step of the way exactly what this is going to look like.
4: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So I've had, it's kind of like the opposite or an inverted version of that. Yeah, I'm curious, Oren, because to Carlin's point, you prep so hard that you will
2: oftentimes make an animatic that's better than the final product. Yes, I know. (laughs) Uh, But but also, when I say animatic and you say animatic, they're two pretty distinctly different things. Mine is like a bunch of storyboards cut together with some you know, cut out animation on top to show people the timing. Yours is oftentimes a fully three d rendered uh situation where you've got a virtual camera with the lens on that you are intending to use in the literal exact angle that you're intending to use. People are walking from place to you are know, rendering it all in blender. There's some pretty extreme um you know prep that that happens in yours. Do wow. you feel like if you're if you know that you're gonna go so far down? The prep in terms of like literally building it out in 3D. And that's part of your process where you're finding the angles in that virtual environment. What, what uh how does storyboards how do that how do they fit into that sort of prep, right?
1: Yeah. I I've probably had a like two or three jobs where I basically did that. I built the location in 3D, I put the actors in 3D, uh, I put the cameras there, and I lit it. And I made my own boards and sent them to the storyboard artists, and they just literally like outline them and change the actors to look more like the people we cast. Uh, but recently, if I'm going to do that, then I just take the money that's <laughs> that's for the storyboard artist. You just don't have a board artist, yeah? Yeah, I'm yeah. the I'm the board artist, and I've had a few jobs where because oh. I because I've done this a lot, some repeat clients where they're like, "Do we need a board artist, or can you just do your?" 3D renders. Um, and the reason like so one of the reasons I like the 3D renders is because what I find with a lot of board artists, like Matt mentioned, is that they come from fine a fine arts background. They're drawers, you know, a lot of them do 3D and other things as well, but most of them come from like a drawing background and they're not great always at understanding what lenses are, you know? Mm-hmm. Um like when you say, "Oh, I want like a really long lens here so that this person feels close to this person," they'll be mm-hmm. like, "Just tell me what part of the frame this person's head is and what part of the frame this person's head is mm-hmm. and not, sometimes I'll say like, "Yeah, but like why are th- their heads the same size like this person should be you know we're, we're on like a wider lens, and I find that like some of that film language, like the camera language doesn't they don't all connect with it, and it leads me to this pitfall a lot of times where the storyboard artist draws a frame that looks great, that tells the story I want to tell, but I get to set and it's not a shootable frame
4: mm-hmm.
3: because
1: they have no limitations of distances and angles. Mm-hmm. and oh, physics. physics, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. When I'm in a situation where I'm worried about where to put the camera and if we can actually physically get this shot that I want to get, then I will... Usually just start mocking it up in Blender. And by some point, I've just designed the entire set and mm-hmm, <laughs> done all the boards. And at that point, we have to call my board person and say, like, hey, actually, we don't need you. Sorry. Any, any listeners at home are like, oh, this is crazy. Um, it know, is a I'm little like,
2: bit. I'm like,
3: this is crazy. I don't do any, <laughs> don't do any <laughs> of the Blender stuff. I know I've heard you talk about this before, Warren, right. but I'm like, what? So everyone does have a really different process.
1: I do think my favorite process is probably also the most accessible process. And it is the photo board. Walk us through, uh, Oren, what is a photo board? So it it does require some things and it does not, like if you're doing a science fiction movie or something, there's some certain things that are very difficult to do this with. Uh, Let's say you want to shoot a scene of a skydiver and you, you you only have access to the skydiving team on a certain day. You couldn't do this, but uh, a standard scene where you have people in a location, if you can go to that location and bring some people, it does not matter who they are. Then you just have them stand in the location and you literally just block out the scenes and, you know, you try to cast it a little bit, like hopefully if you have two uh, friends with you, you, they can each stand in for a different actor and, you know, they kind of spread their legs based on how tall they're supposed to be because the actor's heights makes a big difference, you know, with the camera angles. Um, And what I love about making photo boards is, of course, I'm not just shooting the boards I need. I shoot like 50 different versions of each angle. You know, I have my iPhone. I use either Artemis where I can actually choose the lenses that we'll have. I know we're going to get the master primes or whatever, or a zoom lens. And so I know what lenses we are going to Shooting with, or I just use the camera app and I just take a Mm -hmm. bunch of photos and I take videos and I run around. And, you know, actually, Mercedes Bryce Morgan, who was on our podcast, is one of the inspirations for this. She told us that she figures out all her action scenes with her iPhone and, you know, just goes and blocks them all out. And I was like, why am I not doing that like on every single thing? And it doesn't have to be an action scene, it can be a talking scene, it can be Mm -hmm. anything. But if you are in a location with your phone or, you know, any camera, I recommend your phone just so that you can always you always have in your pocket and you can show it to people at all times. Like if you shoot on your phone, you can you can just explore and you can find things. And that that is actually one of the other pitfalls of storyboards that I find is you're really locking yourself into a plan that you're sharing with your cinematographer, with your production designer, with your producer, with your AD. And it's hard to stray from that. But if you go to the location and do photo boards, which you know, just film, like shoot the boards yourself, then you can really explore and you can find angles and and that's my fear with storyboards always is that I'm just like shooting the most obvious boring version of something because I'm trying to pick eight frames that represent this when on set or at the location, I'll just find a bunch of unique camera angles, camera moves like, ooh, there's an interesting railing or there's an interesting light. If we move the camera here, it'll be in the background. Yeah. So that's why I, I love photo boarding and it combines scouting blocking, Mm -hmm. planning things out and making storyboards all at the same time. And if for some reason you need really nice storyboards for a pitch or for, you know, real job, you take your photo boards and you put them in, I use pages and I just put them in storyboard format and I send them to the storyboard artist, and they just redraw them. And I actually have a post on my Instagram of a Kentucky lottery shoot I did where I have the storyboards side by side with what I actually shot and product they're so similar you don't you can't tell like if he drew the boards first and i shot it or if i shot it and he just copied them because they look exactly the same and it's because he based his drawings off my photo boards
3: did you shoot those at the tech scout
1: uh i shot them at the scout scout so it
3: it is time consuming
1: because sometimes i'll go that was at a convenience store so we went to like you know maybe four convenience stores or something and i take all those photos at every convenience store. store yeah right but but I'm also like learning about the scene and like the storytelling and stuff in that process,
2: and and that's the, I awful. think maybe the important point uh, with all of this is that like the discovery happening earlier I think is really invaluable and has become a, a bigger part of just making things good. Uh, I just recently saw a coworker of mine started putting animated gifs of the photo boards into the PPM deck. Have you guys seen ah, that?
3: It no. It blew my mind. It's so
2: good. So good.
3: So they're doing, they take like videos on you the. You take a
2: video, specifically if it's like a walk and talk or if the, right. if the move is important in some way, you know. Um, Just putting it in yeah. gift form just kind of shows you that's a little bit more evocative than, for instance, you know, if it was a strictly a storyboard, you'd just see some arrows. You know, and people would kind of fill in the blanks. If, If there's two things to take away from this conversation, it's like exploration early on when the stakes are lower is really valuable. And then communicating to your crew, to everyone, any stakeholder helps them do their job a little bit better. Right. And especially when things are abstract or unclear in some way, you can make people's lives a lot easier. And the final thing I'll say about it is that it oftentimes saves the production a lot of money.
1: Can I tell you guys one more pitfall of storyboards? though? Just just because I love complaining.
3: (laughs) Orin hates storyboards. We get Mm -hmm. it. No, I
1: actually love storyboards. And I especially love like the animatic version that Matt's talking about. But just because something feels like it edits well in storyboard format does not at all mean that it edits well. Like if you shoot it and cut the shots together.
2: Well, that's why I think an animatic is a little bit more helpful because you can feel the amount of time that you imagine it's going to take a little bit more. Like I'll add a little bit of movement or something because I think maybe what you're saying, Oren, is that like one frame of a storyboard doesn't represent the amount of total time an action needs to take place, right? Like if you see somebody punch or run or something like that, that could be three seconds and that might not. That might be too much time in the spot that you're trying to cut, right?
1: Yeah, but even like in a storyboard, you might have a close-up on... Two people are talking. You have a close-up on the first person, then you cut to a two-shot of both of them. And then you cut back to the close-up of the first person that, again to say like another line. Like in storyboard format, that totally works. But sometimes if you're editing it like that, it's like a, a not a good cut. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. like going just ping ponging back and forth between two shots can be like not like jarring filmmaking. And and because especially when there's movement and you're not capturing that movement in storyboards, like what I find with animatics, especially if there's any visual effects, is that I've never given them enough time to Mm -hmm. land in the animatic because it's a still frame. So I'm like, I don't want to sit on a still frame for four seconds. That's so boring. But when you have something happening in that shot, four seconds might not even be enough to process. Maybe there's text on the screen or maybe something Mm -hmm. is like a flower is growing in front of our eyes. And in a storyboard, you'll just have like two frames for that. But on on screen time, you need five seconds for that, let's say.
3: I have a dumb question. Could you make. I mean, could you make animatics even in like iMovie and something really simple? Because it's pretty simple.
2: A hundred percent. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Could you also use
3: use the? Oh, sold. Big TikToker. Could you use um, photo boards and animatics? Have you ever done that? Like the photos you take, the scout Uh, photos?
1: A hundred percent. You've done that that.
3: too? I've never done this. Interesting.
1: (laughs) But if you're going to do that, you might as well do videos. But if you go to directedbyorin.com, if you... Um, go down to St. Augustine. It's like a guy hitting a golf ball. There's a link that says animatic that you can click on.
4: Mm, And if
1: you click on that, you can see our DP basically acting out the entire commercial in motion. And that one, you know, we had some specific transitions we wanted. So we wanted to see them in motion. All this begs the question, at some point, we're just shooting the commercial (laughs) by ourselves on our phone. But I think also
2: things get better and better. As it happens, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with basically having shot the commercial because inevitably you'll find the small little mistakes or just opportunities to plus it.
1: You know, yeah, and and just ways to move the the camera. What's amazing about the phone is like, you know, sometimes you can move it in a way that you can't even move a camera. You can get such great ideas for camera moves. And I think my final
2: thing, and this maybe circles back to Carlin, your your story about people teasing you about your um your (laughs) rudimentary drawings you don't have to show this work to anybody that's true you know i think it's valuable for just be just to have for yourself and just to have worked through things and forced yourself to really think through all of those different beats and ideas and stuff you know it's nice your production designer your dp uh, in particular those people are really going to appreciate uh seeing that stuff carlin it was like oh you do so much work and then all of a sudden you're just kind of locked into that prep you know just just keep it yeah. to yourself sometimes you know that's not always feasible yeah i think know.
3: it's also just having the confidence to get on set and to trust if you have if you have an instinct that actually a different way might be better than not to trust to trust that because sometimes mm-hmm. i get into with i've made the mistake before of well, we planned it this way, and like the DP is telling me, it looks better this way, and I don't know. And then I'll second guess myself, and then
4: mm-hmm.
3: in retrospect, I'm like, fuck, I knew, I knew it. I had an instinct to to change it, but I didn't because we were we had made a plan.
4: Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. And that's I think-
3: just directing in general. It's not storyboard related per se, but that's part of the. Yeah.
2: yeah. How say- frequently do you feel like, oh, I'm so glad I stuck to that plan? <laughs> Always.
3: Oh, never. Wait. Never, oh, yeah,
2: never, yeah, never, never. yeah, the, yeah. Your gut the, is always right, basically, yeah. But I yeah. guess this is three directors who were like, Yes, if we'd listen to my
1: instincts, things would be better,
2: <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, most it's true, <laughs> most great true. directors
1: are opportunistic, I think. Yeah, you think you yeah. hear the stories about, you know, Roman Polanski shooting, um, uh, Rosemary's, Rosemary's baby, baby. baby and how. He just has the actors walk to, you know, find, figure out their own blocking in the morning and then they set up, figure out the shots and how to shoot it in the afternoon. Or you hear about Tim Burton just walking into a room, finding the one perfect angle to tell the story from and only knowing that angle. And then everything else is just coverage built around that angle, you know, or even like I heard the story about Michael Bay, uh, where his crew set up like, you know, I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but spent 10 hours setting up this shot on an aircraft carrier and they're about to shoot it, and he realizes that like if they shot in the exact opposite direction because of where the sun is, it would just look so awesome. And he's just like, tear it down. They're like, yeah, but Michael, this is a shot, this is the planet. It's like, I don't care. Tear it down. You know, turn the camera around. And you know, I mean, obviously there's people he he has fans and he has people that don't really like him or his movies, but uh he's a he's a famous filmmaker that has been very successful and his visuals are undeniably Epic, you know, and it's because he it is opportunistic, you know, and he sees mm-hmm. like an incredible shot. Um, I'll get it.
2: Put the Ferrari over there,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Put the explosion
2: I heard behind it.
3: Some of my friends worked on uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood mm-hmm. that uh, Tarantino joint, and um, they said that every, I don't know if this, well, I guess it's true, but they were like, yeah, every day he would have just in case he wanted it, like a crane a process trailer, mm-hmm. just all of the toys, just every day. They were there <laughs> just, just in case. Just in you case, just to hanging
1: out. Yeah. But honestly, for a feature, it's, I, you know, I think we come, because we do so much short form stuff, it's like, oh, it's like $2,500, whatever. But on a feature, you're amortizing all these costs. You're shooting mm-hmm. for three months. Ends up not, ends up making more sense to carry the Steadicam and the Dolly and the technocrane and all those things, I think, right? let me see there
3: is let me see the budget for that it makes sense to keep the process trailer for four months
2: i think uh, look once upon a time in hollywood is an easy example you know whose time is the most valuable is the question in that feature and you've got leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt maybe the two biggest stars in the world and so like you do you can't schedule around like well brad you know you're gonna wrap a little bit early because uh, the process trailer is coming tomorrow (laughs) or whatever you know so in that case
3: he he like i think he just kind of just makes decisions when he feels it's more of like a loose loosey-goosey kind of uh which none of us
1: but but some of the best indie i bet when you shot your indie films and stuff you some of the best moments are the ones where you're like oh wait i know this was the plan but let's do this instead yeah um and what that's what i love at least about small productions is Mm -hmm. you get to make those changes and when you're on a medium-sized production like most of the things we're on when you have like 50 people or whatever 100 people and you change the order of things you want to shoot now it just like screwed up lunch it's screwed up trailers you have to move this thing like yeah i think it's also we're also
2: talking about in the commercial world we're beholden to
1: so many stakeholders right yeah I'm just curious, can you just give me an example of a shot list? How you label a shot list? Like, like what, what's, what's the wording that you write? Do you write, like, and do you do 101A? Do you write one? Do you write eight? Like, what's, how do you label your shot list? How do you label your shots and give me a sample description of a wide shot, a dolly shot, and a close-up shot?
3: Say I'm making a shot list mainly for me and to talk to the storyboard artist. I would just do, like, whatever, like, interior, bedroom, scene, whatever. And then just really simply write out like wide shot dolly in as Kathy moves from A to B, you know, and just describe the shot.
1: And yeah. you wouldn't number it or anything?
3: Until I do shooting boards, that's when I number them. And that's when I put it all into an Excel document and I'll put like which camera, which lens, mm-hmm. which whatever. Like that's super, that's more, that's much more thorough. But when I'm just making like my first shot list, it's just sort of like what's the coverage that I see. The first time I'm really thinking it through.
1: But do you put like a dash or like a bullet list? Like how you don't even put. I do
3: dashes, no numbers, just dashes.
4: Do
1: you you guys? I don't know why I do this. I think I read it in a book like 15 years ago. But I write like the shot descriptions in all caps, like wide, like capital W I D E, on enter C U. Do you guys write C U or close up? I will write CU. To you.
2: It's, I'm pretty loosey-goosey. I will try to group things by setup, or and sometimes I'll say, like, A-cam and B-cam. Mm-hmm. I don't get much more prescriptive than that. But you would write, like, over on Carlin. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, more prescriptive than Carlin. Yeah, I would say yeah. uh, medium over on Carlin, dirty over on Carlin, A-cam, you know, rev- re- B-cam reverse
1: uh, on Oren. And do you find if you give that to your AD or cinematographer, they'll understand what you mean?
2: Yeah. Sometimes.
1: Sometimes. Or they're mostly just counting how many shots you have, right? I think they're mostly
3: just counting. And I always put like bonus shots at the end of the list, you know, like what I would like Mm -hmm. to get, which I know is has a 75% chance of getting cut. Mm
2: -hmm. Or I'll put it in the shooting order sometimes Mm -hmm. as well. Like I'll be like, okay, like if we're going to get, if we're going ahead this bonus shot makes sense in this placement basically
1: right Um, but when you're making the storyboard like the first time you're sitting in word or on a paper mm -hmm. in your notes app or whatever you're writing it in order of the screenplay right correct yeah yes i'll oftentimes write it into
2: the screenplay i'll kind of break it out basically You know what you're you're making me realize, though, is that like years ago now, Tim Nakashi said on the show that sometimes he feels like he's the only person who knows what he's shooting at the time. Mm -hmm. And that sentiment has haunted me for years. And storyboards and animatics are just the best tool I have at my disposal to get what we're trying to get out of our brains Mm -hmm. into something a little bit more tangible so that people see what we're aiming for and can say that they approve of it and like it before we're on set, ideally.
1: So my last question is, have you guys ever used any storyboarding software, or tested out storyboarding software, or found any other solution like that? I'm very curious
3: Me to too. Use it. Yeah. But I haven't.
1: There's um, a few kind of famous ones. There's this program called FrameForge that has been around for 100 years. Yeah, it lets you basically load up 3D models and rooms, and you can design, put walls and things like that. The other one that a lot of people use is Shot Designer Pro. And and that's not actually storyboarding, but you're really drawing overheads and blocking. Mm -hmm. And a lot of TV directors use that one. And somebody introduced me to a new one yesterday called Backlot. It's one word, backlot.app is their website. And it's like another one of these kind of 3D build your locations, move your camera through the world apps. But uh, this person that told me about it said it's relatively intuitive compared to all these very hard to use programs. There's one other one that actually plugs into Cinema 4D. It's like a package Mm -hmm. where you have cameras, you have lights, you have locations, you have actors, and it's basically this toolkit they give you to build scenes. The funny thing about all these programs is you as a director, you're trying to shoot things that haven't been shot before in ways that they haven't been shot before with people that haven't shot those things before. And so to think that someone will give you like a toolkit that has all the things you need in it to make your shots is just a counterintuitive idea because we're all trying to shoot new things. Counterpoint. uh, And I agree with you mostly, but like, it's not like
2: most of the things we're shooting don't have reference points. It's not like, you know, you're always going to be in a room or in the forest or on the beach. So it is conceivable that safe environments, for instance, are all a collection of assets or something.
1: For instance, right. 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 But the coffee shop that you want to shoot in because it has this unique feature is going to be Mm -hmm. very different than another coffee shop. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that maybe
2: we're talking about like the more photo real your boards are, the more reasonable it is for someone to be like, well, I think that this is literally what we're shooting. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there's maybe we're stumbling into something about like something representational that's drawn. maybe gives you a little bit more latitude to actually find the location of your dreams or the actor of your dreams or the camera move of your dreams
1: or the coffee of your dreams. Any, any final words?
2: Just remembering that the storyboard artists are artists and that they can be your earliest collaborator, I think is something that really opened my eyes up and like coming in prepared and ready with great ideas. But then, Giving them the permission and understanding and incentive to talk through things with you, to pitch ideas, to ask questions, all of that stuff. And and following those points of inspiration, that can be the first opportunity for you to explore, basically. And that they are a person who typically they'll have awesome ideas and, and different reference points. And, you know, that can be really cool.
1: Well, awesome. Well, thanks for chatting storyboards with us, Carlin. Do you have a minute to hang out and endorse with us?
2: we can't pay you
3: okay unpaid endorsements
2: so i have two uh, two quick endorsements one is for purple carrot which is one of those like blue apron or any of those kind of like food subscription services i've been pretty busy lately i've been really pleasantly surprised basically every time with their meals they're all vegan it's very hippy dippy but it's been really awesome for us actually i will say that it's not especially that much easier than just ordering ingredients and doing it yourself there's still all the prep work and stuff like measuring's not that big of a deal but if you're the type of person who doesn't have a ton of bandwidth to like research fun new recipes and that sort of stuff i think it could be a big unlock for people i think we really enjoyed it but also like We have like a lot of different recipes and different sources for new ideas and stuff, and it's still been really nice. But all of their meals are pretty great, actually, and like Mm. gave us just a baby step outside of our comfort zone in terms of the stuff that we had been cooking. Purple Carrot, in particular, has been pretty darn good and fun for
1: us. And what's the difference between the other services and Purple Carrot?
2: I would say that Purple Carrot leans... First of all, it's vegan.
3: None of the others are vegan, to my knowledge. Like, HelloFresh and... They'll have
2: vegetarian or vegan options sometimes, but it's like there's only so many times you can eat potato tacos or whatever. That's the complaint I've heard of like, if if you're or if you're picky or something like that, you know, it's pretty spice forward. You know, like it's relatively international. There's like a lot of different styles of cooking that we have been trying. It doesn't feel as homogenous as maybe some of the other services have been. So pretty nice. Pretty good. And then the other endorsement I have is a, a review of The Tragedy of Macbeth. Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, Mm -hmm. as reviewed by Ethan Cohen, his brother. And it is such a treat. I'll give you a few excerpts. The title is Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, reviewed by Ethan Cohen, more like Mick (laughs) Black.
3: it's uh, a joke it's a jokey review
2: it's a jokey review in the tragedy of Macbeth, longtime hollywood presence joel cohen who has 18 prior films to his credit takes sole creative control of a project for the first time the result not unlike the tale of Macbeth itself is a tragic of <laughs> epic proportions
3: <laughs> did y'all see the movie
2: no but uh no. if it's dumb as a dog dick uh as, as his brother describes it then hilarious <laughs> I'm that pretty- i mean that's so it's funny a, yeah yeah Uh, Help, the no-talent police are right around the corner. Please, someone rescue me before I'm exposed to a fraud who somehow fell ass-first into a movie career. Uh, Oh, my God.
3: It's
2: great. Anyway, Charlotte, how did you feel about Macbeth?
3: Um, The Scottish play. I liked it, um, but the cinematography is stunning. Like, it is a visual feast. It is beautiful. It is just such a gorgeously, creatively shot the black and white you know it's it's visually it's quite a masterpiece and um i liked it i like Macbeth. i mean it's it's shakespeare you know you gotta mm-hmm.
2: would you say you that be down. it's rendered the bard's tail in black and white using a four by three aspect ratio as if that alone makes you akira fucking kurosawa
3: <laughs> yes that's actually perfect <laughs> i actually did have to check my uh Aspect ratio because I didn't know it was shot in 4 3 and, yeah. and I've had trouble with aspect ratios on my fucking DVD player. And I was like, God damn it. You know, but I was like, oh, this is purposeful.
2: There you go. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, that reminds me actually, uh, speaking of Macbeth and Kurosawa, Throne of Blood uh, is like a samurai retelling of Macbeth and is uh, by it's Kurosawa great. and is fucking awesome.
3: Hey, look at that.
2: So there you go. Little bonus there. Little bonus. Uh, what a good double header that would be that I won't do.
3: <laughs> you're so you've got all the time you're making your purple <laughs> carrot meals you've freed up an hour
2: yeah there you go uh carlin what you got
3: well i have a book and an article because i'm a nerd but um the book that i just finished is called detransition baby it was like a new mm. york times bestseller list but it's about it's a trans author and it's about you heard of this?
2: No, I'm just shaking my head because I'm in babyland so hard that I was like, oh, is this a parenting book? I
4: should. It be is. No it,
3: it oh, really? Is. Oh, good. So oh, it's, awesome. So it's like a trans woman used to be in a relationship with another trans woman, so they were lesbians, and then her ex detransitions back to be a man, it gets another woman pregnant, like a cis hetero woman pregnant, and then they all kind of like decide if they want to raise a child together. But it is so it's like the it's such like a juicy almost like a bee tree but super queer and just like fascinating gender and sex and it's just it's just really fucking cool it's like it's a like an extremely entertaining like saucy mm-hmm. rich book with these amazing characters but with the premise that you're like holy shit i <laughs> just <laughs> i mean i i couldn't it's just wild you know yeah
2: i love that it's, that's
3: it's really good and it's really thought provoking, um, but fun. It's like, it's a fun, it's a thought provoking book, but like it's, but it's a juicy, mm-hmm. fast read. I loved it. And then the other, there's an art, there's a new New Yorker article about a profile on Celine Sciamma. I think that's how you say her name. She directed Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It talks about her process and how she's trying to kind of reinvent cinema All together like she's she's pretty radical and how she creates stories from her own personal gaze and trying to like how like story structure is patriarchal boy i sound like a raging feminist in these um
2: these recommendations no no that sounds great
3: (laughs) and she even talks about some of her past films like she has this movie called girlhood that was about like a young queer black woman in france and she pretty readily admits like how problematic and stereotypical it is. You know, she's just like a really interesting artist and um, person and is such a great profile and really makes you think, huh, maybe I'm thinking too limited about telling stories.
1: Yeah. Maybe there is more to life than maybe there's teen more comedies. Than life. And
3: I mean, not in my life, YouTube per, but sketches. other people's life. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Um, All right. Awesome. What,
3: what, what app you got for us, Oren? Let's hit, hit me. <laughs>
1: It's literally a keyboard (laughs) shortcut. See? It's even more specific than an app. (laughs) But I've been having this problem in Photoshop. And I actually believe this shortcut works in a lot of kind of image layout programs. Um, But where I will copy something from one image and I want to paste it into another image. And it will paste it in the center of the image instead of in the same place it was in the image Mm -hmm. I copied it from. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's say I have a logo and I want to paste it on five different images or something at the bottom, right? I'll paste it into a new Photoshop image and it'll end up in the middle. And I've been so frustrated by that. And it turns out there is a shortcut, uh, on Apple it's, um, command shift V I'm assuming on a PC, it's on windows, it's control shift V, but instead of, instead of control V, um, it's control shift V, it will paste whatever you copy into the same place. It was where you copied it from. And this is super helpful. Like when I make treatments, like I have issues with page numbers, like I want them Mm -hmm. to all be in the same place on each page and they're pasting all over the place. So anyway, throw a shift into your, your shortcut. Maybe it'll fix the problem you've always had. Have you, uh, done that between two different
2: canvas sizes? Like if it's like, Um, Oh, you've got a 16 by nine image and you're trying to copy that copy from 16 by nine, but into nine by 16, does it just kind
1: of approximate it or. I haven't done that yet, but I'm assuming it would probably do something different than just a regular paste. Mm-hmm. Um, where I run into problems is I use a lot of images with transparency. Um, like, let's say you have a logo uh, and a picture and the background is transparent, like in a PNG or something. If in Photoshop, you like select the whole canvas and hit copy, it's actually only copying the pixels that aren't transparent. So when you paste it somewhere oh, else, sure. even though your, your document is, you know, 1920 by 1080 what you copied is only like 640 by 360 or something, right? So when you paste it, um, like what what's on your clipboard is smaller than where you copied from. So when you paste it somewhere else, it doesn't end up in the same place, even if those two documents are the exact same size. So that's kind of the issue I've been having is copying semi-transparent pieces or parts of an image. Anyway, um, it's in case, you know, one of our listeners has this issue. Sure. That's the solution. Or and what uh, I love about <laughs> this
2: endorsement is
1: that uh
2: Carlin dunked on you and you you just you just went straight forward anyway you were like let's go even
4: well, I nerdier. Like, yeah
1: even I, I feel like she gave an example of what i would recommend and i just like ten next <laughs> yeah, yeah, specificity <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah,
2: yeah. You're the most Oren Oren of them all, right? Yeah, I, like I Orened all... Carlin's
1: version yeah, of Oren. Yeah, 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 yeah,
3: I know. I I almost out Carlin's Carlin's version of myself tonight. So honestly, <laughs> we're all and even I think
1: this. you're less Carlin than you think you are.
3: <laughs> okay, good.
1: Carlin, thank you so much for joining us. I hope uh, you guys learned. If you have any questions or wanna know more about our storyboard process then uh, go to my website, directedbywarn.com <laughs> or you can email us uh, justshootitpod at gmail.com uh, You can find me. I'm on Instagram at O'Kaplan I'm on Twitter at Pileg And I'm at Mr. Matt Enloe across all social media. You can follow
2: us at justshootitpod across all social media as well. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar and Carlin social media hey carlin is that right
3: well twitter is hey carlin mm-hmm. and instagram is carlin hudson
1: mm, there you go very professional <sighs> i know carlin with a y
3: So carlin with a y you
1: that's did. it bye everyone thanks everyone bye have
0: Ever a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row